There is an author named Michael Lewis. Uh, he's written a number of popular books, some of which have been made into movies. Uh, uh, the Big Short uh, is a book he wrote about the 2008 economic crisis. He just came out with a book called The Premonition about uh, the COVID pandemic, global pandemic. And what, what he does is he finds these people that are kind of on the outside, outliers, outside the system. And almost because they're outside the system, they're able to see truth about a situation in a way that those inside the system are, are blind to. So 2008, economic, the, the, the big shorts about these uh, financial guys on the outside that kind of see this looming economic crisis coming. The premonitions about these doctors not affiliated with the CDC, not kind of in the mainstream, but on the outside, and they, they, they're, they're seeing this coming, this pandemic. Or, you know, well over a year ago, they saw it coming. One of my favorites of his stories is, is the story Moneyball. Came, it was a movie uh, that was made, a good movie. Um, Brad Pitt was the, the main character. He played Billy Bean, the general manager of the Oakland A's. And so the Oakland A's kind of stand outside the, the, the mainstream of, of baseball. They got a big problem. And their problem is that their, their payroll is like way down at the bottom within Major League Baseball. And so they have these great players that come through and they assemble these teams, but they can't sustain the, like the, the better, the, their own success becomes a crisis for them because the Jason Giambis and the Johnny Damons of the world go to, uh, predictably, the Yankees and the Red, the, the teams that can pay the money. So Billy Bean's got to figure out, he's, so he's kind of outside the, the mainstream, he's got to figure out a way to overcome this weakness. And he does. And, that's what this, and, and in the process, revolutionizes the game of baseball. He begins with the help of a little stat guy. He begins to um, think about statistics in the aggregate instead of just individually. So if you've got a superstar in Johnny Damon or Jason Giambi, you're not trying to replace those guys. You're trying to replace a whole roster that can replicate the kind of numbers that they did on their own. It's a different goal. And interestingly, the, the Red Sox, when they won in 2004, after, you know, however many, however many years of, of not winning, they did it using Billy Bean's approach to baseball. And that's what Michael Lewis, he has this knack for finding these stories of people on the outside, outside of the system, that can see things. Because within the system, there's clunkiness. The system's often based on false premises, and these people outside of it, they can, they can see that, or they're forced to work around that, and they begin to see truth. Now, this is, this is the dynamic in John's gospel. John has told us that something has happened in creation that is incredible. The author of this story of which we're a part has written himself into the story and he's walking among us. And he's shining his light in an otherwise dark world. He's speaking truth to us. And he can do that precisely because he comes from the outside. Because if the world's in darkness, we're, we're living our lives out of falsehood, out of lies. And we're just kind of cooking up lies all the day long. This is what a world in darkness does. 
But all of a sudden, the light comes in. God himself and the person of Jesus comes into the world and he starts speaking truth. He starts cooking up truth all the day long. Now, and not only is he speaking truth, but uh, John tells us he is truth. Like truth embodied. It's him. It's Jesus. Now, here's the thing, though. The people in darkness, they reject the truth. They call him a liar. They call him a blasphemer. That's the irony of this, that truth comes in, and as John said, we, we, we loved uh, the darkness instead. Well, today, we find Jesus again at the Feast of Booths uh, in Jerusalem, right? And the Feast of Booths is this autumn Jewish festival that remembers the, the wilderness wandering. It remembers a number of things. And if you recall, the, the, the Jerusalem and the people of Israel were to be a light to the nations they were to be uh, a city on a hill, a place that had this magnetic effect on the whole world, that the nations would come and find salvation there. And yet, when the light comes, the light of the world comes into Jerusalem, He's, he re- meets his most resistance in Jerusalem. The place is in darkness. The place is in utter darkness. And we've seen that. We saw that two weeks ago as we considered portions of this, uh, set, this episode in the, at the Feast of Booths. We saw it last week, and here we are again, the same thing, although Jesus takes up a different um, focus. Last week, he talked about himself as a river of life. Like, if you're thirsty, Jesus said, come to me, and I will quench your thirst forever. And, and moreover, out of you will flow streams of living water. You will give life to the world. And here, he takes up the topic of light. Which is, it's the problem, right? If, if we're a world in darkness, light is going to help us. And so he calls himself the light of the world. We're going to talk, we've got two points today to consider. The world in darkness, that's the first point. Second point is the way out of the darkness. So we've got the world in darkness and then the way out of the darkness. So first, the world in darkness. Now, John's gospel, we've, we've been here since December we, in, during Advent, you may recall, we looked at John's prologue. And as, as I've spent time in this gospel, it's, it's, it's amazing to see what a tightly woven masterpiece this gospel is. Every theme that John introduced in that prologue is just worked over and worked over over the course of John's gospel. Remember we said the prologue's like John's gospel concentrate? You're like juice concentrate, you throw it into the pitcher, you add water, and you start stirring it up. John's been stirring up that prologue, and, and he's expanding those themes, and the taste is spreading, and we're beginning to understand them better. That's what he's doing over the course of this gospel. And, and remember chapter 1, verse 5, uh, John described Jesus as the light that comes into the darkness. He came into a dark world, and we've seen it. Remember Nicodemus, who, who is a product of Jerusalem, all of the education and the, the kind of the system. Nicodemus is a product of that. He's been trained, best training, best, he's been ordained. All the things have happened to him that you want in a teacher, uh, and he's, he's got it. And Nicodemus comes to him, and remember when he comes to him, what time of day? By night. And John's not just stating a fact, he's, he's saying, look, Nicodemus, while physically in the dark, is also spiritually in the dark. Nicodemus doesn't see, even though he's been trained, because he's, he's, he's kind of part of the system. 
He doesn't see. He's in the dark. Remember the disciples? When uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000 and they take their boat across uh, to Capernaum and they leave without Jesus. And remember what time of day it is? It's the dark. Because when you're without Jesus, you're in the dark. This is what John has been saying this. And so now Jesus takes this theme kind of head on, right? And what does he say? Verse 12. You can see it there in your, uh, in your Bibles or in your order of worship. He says, verse 12, I am the light of the world. And predictably, the, the Pharisees have a beef with that claim. Look at what they say. What do they say? Verse 13. So the Pharisees say to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true, therefore. So what's their issue? Their issue is that his, his claim, they say, is self-referential, right? You yourself are making the claim. Anybody can say anything about themselves. I could claim to be the light of the world. I could claim to be a donkey that looks like a human. I can claim all sorts of things. But that, that doesn't have a whole lot. Of, you need someone to bear witness about the truthfulness of that claim. That's their problem. Now, he's our, chapter 5, he was in Jerusalem again. And he talked about those who bear, bore witness to him. He's, he's already explained to this crowd that he's got his witnesses. And he named in chapter 5, he said, I got John the Baptist, the prophet, who gives witness to me. I've got the scriptures that give witness to me. I've got my miracles, which I've been performing in your midst, which sparked this little controversy in the first place. They bear witness to me and the father bears witness to me. Those are the witnesses cited way back in chapter five. But here, Jesus says, I don't have to play by your rules, right? Because I am the creator. I am truth, but I'll still play by your rules if you like. And then verse 17, this is what he says. The law says that the testimony of two people is true. Okay, that's what the law says. Now, by the way, interesting little footnote to this. That the law says the testimony of two people is true, that it says that, that's an indication that we live in darkness. Because you have to have the testimony of two to gain any sort of credible report. Because what do we do when we're on our own? If it's just us bearing testimony or witness, we lie. That's what we do. Uh, you've got to, let me, let me give you an example. I, so I was, um, I was a headmaster at a school in another state. And one of the most difficult situations that I dealt with was a violent playground episode of middle school boys. Uh, broken arms. Um, I mean, Thing, flesh was pierced with pencil. I mean, it, 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 was, it was violent. It was surprising. Um, lawyers got involved. It's big mess. But in order to understand what exactly went down with these 13 and 14-year-old boys, what did I have to do? I had to separate them, sequester them, and bring them in one by one and ask them to tell me what happened and then send them off, sequester them again until I got all the witnesses to bear their story, line up each testimony, and then we could begin to see a, truth, a, a more credible picture come to, come to the fore, right, of what actually happened. And why is that? Because when the heat is turned up, we lie. It's what we do. 
And this is why the testimony of two people is true. So, so here's the thing. That law doesn't apply to the truth. Capital T, truth, Jesus. His witness stands because he's truth. But he's like, well, nonetheless, Jesus says, I've got the witness of the Father and my witness. If, if you need two people to bear witness about this, the Father bears, bears witness about me as well. Now, so Jesus has shined the truth of his light into this situation. I am the light of the world. And remember, where he's shining it is a world lived in darkness. Now, there's, there's all sorts of movies. I don't even need to name one. There's, there's just it's like a whole genre of movies and shows where there is a, there's a dark conspiracy, far-reaching conspiracy that's going on. And somebody, maybe it's an investigator, law enforcement person, somebody stumbles into this conspiracy and they begin to shine lights in different spots of it and they begin to expose what's going on. What happens when they start doing that? The darkness fights back, right? The darkness recedes further and further into the dark. Uh, they, it may fight back. The family of that investigator might get threatened. Uh, things might start happening to try to thwart that person's exposure of the conspiracy. We could say the same thing. If you shine a light in an alley, where do the rats go? They scurry off into the dark corners of the alley. It's just it's what they do. Or, you, or uh, kids, you're playing in the backyard and you lift up a big rock. And what do you find underneath it? All these little critters that move deeper into the dirt. They're, they're burrowing. They're trying to hide. They're trying to get away from the light because they dwell in darkness and they want to stay there. And Jesus is calling people out of the darkness and they don't, they don't want to leave. They're calling him a liar. They're calling him a blasphemer is what they say. Now, this is what a world in darkness does. It clings to falsehood. We cling to lies. And we begin to live out of them. We live out of, out of the lies. And, and as a result, we keep tripping over ourselves. And we keep tripping over others. We're bumping into people because we're not living the way that we were created to live. We're not living according to the truth of, of God's word, of how God has prescribed for us to live. And so we're tripping all over ourselves because we're living in the dark. That's the scripture's term for it. We're living in dark. When you live in the lie, you live in the dark. And this is why the scriptures say that God's word, his truth, is a lamp to our feet. Even though the world's in darkness, we order our steps with the truthfulness of his word. I mean, a good example of this, of how this living in lies can have destructive effects, there's plenty of examples, but I think of the 2008 um, economic crisis. You know, uh, banks were kind of throwing out home loans like it was candy at Halloween. And they're just, you know, the, the, the financial system is operating out of a lie, essentially. And eventually, as it always does, the truth catches up. And it brought misery to people. People lost jobs. People lost their homes. Investors that were inv investing in this house of cards, right? This this whole system built on, on lies. They, in, in, in prominent ones, committed suicide. It was so difficult for them. And this is what living in darkness does. Like the, the truth always wins. The truth, reality will catch up to you. The light will shine 
broadcast across the world. But Jesus came into Jerusalem. He's shining his light to it. And the darkness is doing what darkness does and what those who walk in darkness do. Get away. So, but nonetheless, this is, this is good news. Just like he did when he talked about the river of life. They're calling him a liar. They're doing all this. He still invites us to him. He keeps coming into the darkness with his light saying, come, come to me. Come to me. I'll, make, I'll, make, I'll bring you into the light. And so this brings us to our second point, the way out of the darkness. So the light shines in the darkness. Look at verse 12 again. This is what Jesus says. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's his claim. Now, there's an important Old Testament background to this. Remember, again, Feast of Booths, Jewish festival. Jews from across the world are, are gathering in Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. And it's, it's fitting. Like I said, it's in the fall. In, in, in Jerusalem, in the surrounding region, in the fall, what happens is water becomes at a premium. It gets very dry. And when it gets dry here, we don't maybe feel it as much because we're not as connected to the, to the land, right? We got, like we said last week, we got thirst quenchers everywhere, ample supplies of fluids. But in a world where you don't have that, you feel a drought. And so there was this water aspect to the Feast of Booths, um, commemorating the, the possibility in, in Ezekiel 47 of water flowing out of the temple. Remember what the, the people are doing? They're carrying water buckets up to the temple and they're pouring it out to anticipate the, the prophecy of Ezekiel that out of the temple would flow a river of living water that would bring life and healing to everything it touches. Zechariah said the same thing, that out of Jerusalem would flow rivers of of um, Zechariah chapter 14 would flow rivers of living water. And then, just after that, Zechariah says that when God's kingdom arrives, there will be no need for sun or moon, for the glory of the Lord will keep things lit all the time. Right? And think about it. Fall time? This is the other, pro- this is the other natural problem that people face during the fall when the Feast of Booths is happening is the light going away. The days get shorter and the light recedes. And so what did the people of Israel do at this festival to honor that aspect? They took these enormous bowls and they perched them very high and they threw the priest's underwear into them. That's right. You heard that right. The priest's undergarments were thrown in and treated... Uh, treated as wicks, and they lit it, and Jerusalem was just lit the whole time. It was like a wonder of the world. I mean, people that observed this were blown away at the sight before the light bulb to have the, the temple in Jerusalem just lit. And perhaps it's the case that Jesus is saying this at night as the, 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 the bowls are, you know, the flames are flying into the night sky. And he says, I'm the light of the world. Now, let's think about this a little, um, a little bit. When God creates the world, there's a formlessness and an emptiness to the world that he's addressing in those following chapters. And what's the first thing that he does? He says, let there be light. And all of a sudden, his organizing, structuring work of creation begins with light. 
And isn't it interesting that the new creation that Jesus is ushering in begins with light shining in darkness as the glory of the Lord shines to the, before the shepherds at night, right? And so the creation of the world begins with light coming in. The new creation begins with light coming into a dark world. And the reason that we're in darkness, again, is because we're in open rebellion against our Creator who is light. We're bugs under a rock, and Jesus is lifting the rock over Jerusalem, and the bugs are scurrying about. They don't know what to do. Things are getting shaken up, and they don't like it. And they're trying to fall deeper into darkness. That's what's happening. And so, so how do we get out? How do we get out of the darkness? Jesus tells us, verse 24, if you have your Bible, it's not printed in your order, but verse 24, Jesus says, Believe in me. As we talked about last week, so belief. Uh, He also says, though, in verse 12, which we just read, follow me, follow him. Jesus, he says, will lead us in the light. Not only in the light, he will lead us to the light of life. Now, next question. How does Jesus get us from being in the darkness into the light? How does that happen? Well... He himself was plunged into the darkness. Remember remember the cross when when Jesus is pinned upon it in broad daylight? Do you remember what happens? It gets dark. If, If his birth brought light to the darkness, his death brought darkness to the light. It gets dark. And the reason it got dark is because is a testimony of what's happening spiritually. Did, Jesus said that to be, to be cast away from God, to, to, to bear the cost of one's sin, would be to be cast into outer darkness. That's what he said. And there upon the cross, he's bearing the sins of sinful humanity. And he is being plunged into the darkness. And the physical, you know, amazement of a, of a day turning dark is, is, a, is a picture of what's happening spiritually. Remember what he cries out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He he experienced the alienation from God that we in some sense experience. There upon the cross. That Christ, our light, was plunged into the darkness so that we who walk in darkness might be plunged into his light. That's, That's what's going on on the cross. We get plunged into his light. And here's the thing. We get, we, we get so plunged in the light of Christ that we become lights ourselves. It's a borrowed light, but he says we're light. In Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, you're the light of the world. My disciples are the light of the world. We begin to bear witness to the truth in a, in a dark world. I wanna, we, we opened with Moneyball. Let me close with um, a scene from that, from that movie um, that I think kind of gives us a good picture of all of this. So, Billy, the GM of the A's, has just lost Johnny Damon and Jason Giambi. So he's sitting around a conference table. All his scouts are there. There's like a dozen guys, and they're just going on about these players. Who, who they need to get to, to fix the problem, right? And they're like, well, this guy, you know, he's a good-looking guy. He's big. He's strong. He ball really pops off his bat. Another guy, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's got a great face. He's got a great face. And another guy, he's, he's I can't. He's got an ugly girlfriend. He's got no confidence. He's an, and they're just going on and on and on. And, and Billy Bean is just sitting there thinking, 
what are we talking? And he says, what are we talking about here? What in the world are we talking about? And one of his scouts fires back and says, we're trying to solve the problem, Billy. And the pit character says, Billy Bean, we don't even know what the problem is. We don't even know what the problem is. And this is what a world in darkness does. We sit around and we surmise and talk about all the, 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 the way in which our life should go. Like if I, could just, um, if I could just get my 401k where it needs to be. Or if I could just get married. Or if we could just get the right person in the White House. Or whatever it is. We think we know what the problem is. But we don't know what the problem is. Because we're in darkness. And Jesus the Christ comes into this dark world with the truth of, his, of him, the person, and his words. And he says, here's your problem. Your fundamental problem is that you are all alienated from your creator, from me. And I'm calling you back. I'm calling you back to me. And I will not just save you from all the disorder that comes about from walking in darkness. But I am going to make you an agent of reconciliation in the world. That's what, he, that's, that's what we saw last week, right? Come to me who thirst, fill up with me. And what happened? Remember what happens? Out of your hearts, those who believe in me will flow rivers of living water. You will, you will, become, uh, you will be on mission in the world to bring life to it. This is what we said, when a church is planted, a window to heaven opens. This is what we mean, that local church congregations are places where the healing of the gospel gets poured out from. And it also applies to light. As Jesus said, I will plunge, I am the light of the world, I will plunge you in my light and you will begin to reflect. It's borrowed light, just like the moon from the sun, but you will begin to reflect my truth speak my truth, live my truth in the world, and people will be drawn to it. As the Spirit opens up hearts and minds, people will come. My, my people will come. And that's what we've been called to do, to be light as He is light. Let's pray. Father, we give you uh, thanks for your good news of your gospel. It is overwhelming, and we get the sense that we, don't even, we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of, of understanding the implications um, of these words. We pray that your spirit would illuminate them to us. Help us to, to uh, as we said earlier, not just intellectually agree with what's being said, but that it would work itself into our, our bones, into our hearts, all the way down. So that we live differently as a result. Your truth is powerful. Your light is powerful. It's world transforming. And we want to, we want to be a part of that. So help us to be. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.